right, Connor, would you please? Good morning, church. Today's scripture is James 2, 20 through 24. But are you willing to acknowledge, you foolish person, that faith without works is useless? Was our father Abraham not justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Good morning, SCC. Good to see you. And again, all of our guests, we're so glad you're here. In fact, all the home folks, let's just give a round of applause for all of our guests. We're so glad you're here. And we hope you'll be back. We know this is one of the friendliest places you could ever come to worship, and we're so glad you're here. And tonight kicks off our Vacation Bible School. And uh, if you have children, if they have not signed up yet, there's, we're just under that 100 maximum, so there is room. And if your kids are a little bit, you know, scared of not wanting to leave you, you can come and help. <laughs> so feel free to do that. You can stay close to them and they can see you. But, uh, but that kicks off tonight at 6.30, tonight through Thursday night. And two, um, uh, our children's pastors did say this, that if anybody just wants to come and, you know, just observe or help or fill in, feel free to do that. We appreciate, we appreciate all of your hearts to help. So it's a good thing. Also, I just want to say uh, thank you to all the men who made yesterday and the ladies that helped fix. We had a great turnout yesterday. It was an exciting time and, and uh, we believe this is going to be one of the first ones and we're going to see a lot of good things happen in our growing men's ministry. So praise God for that. Connor, thank you for reading that word. You may not have heard it, but in that passage, we're going to read some more, but that passage stirred up Martin Luther, who was one of our early reformers back in the 1500s, stirred him up so strongly that he wouldn't even preach out of the book of James. He was so concerned that Christians might uh, somehow pick up the idea that they could somehow earn their relationship with Christ or that they somehow had to keep it by doing good works. Now that, how many of you know on a pendulum, well we don't have grandfather clocks that much, everything's digital, but you know back in the day there's a pendulum, right, that would swing and there's sometimes that pendulum is way over here and there's sometimes that pendulum is over here. But most of the time that pendulum will spin where? It'll be in the middle, right? It's going to spend most of its time there. And that's kind of where we are on today's message because there is no question 
that we are only made right with God through our faith in what Jesus Christ did for us. We, we, we know that's true. We're going to see that. But we also know it's true that if God really has worked in your heart and you've really been born again and the Spirit of God lives in you, we are going to produce good works, right? Can you say amen to that? And so, but balancing that thing out sometimes can be uh, hard for some of us. So we're going we're gonna to camp out there some more. Now, James is the one who wrote this, and you, we've heard James was the earthly half-brother of Jesus Christ. You say, what? If you're a guest, what do you mean? Well, Mary and Joseph, after Jesus was born, uh, she conceived... And, and they had other children, uh, sons and daughters, Scripture says. The only thing was, they thought Jesus had lost it. Uh, there was a time when Jesus started his public ministry. It says that they all went to try to kind of reel him back in. They went to the house and showed up and, and said, uh, tell Jesus that his mom and dad, I mean, his, uh, his mother and brothers and sisters are here. And, uh, of course, he gave that great message. He says, but who are my brothers and sisters? You know, he's talking to them. He says, that's you. But that was James. He was a questioner. He was a doubter. We know that he was even a mocker. But we also know this. Jesus loved his half-brother enough to personally appear after his resurrection to his brother James. That's what Scripture says. It lists all these people he appeared to. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, it highlights, and to James. And so that was going to become significant. We also know that the book of Acts says that James and his mother Mary and his brothers, a guy we call Jude, who also wrote a book in the New Testament, it says they were part of the group that were in the upper room when the Holy Spirit came in power. And so James became a very, uh, in fact, all the way to the time that he was martyred for his faith. He was a pastor, he was an elder, and we're going to see a little bit later today, he was actually one of the leaders and the whole early church in the early days. So this was the guy, and he's the one that wrote some of these strong sayings. I want you to listen. We're going to read uh, the other, uh, I mean, all eight verses out loud again, okay? I'm going to read them to you. Here's what Scripture says. This is James. He says, what use is it, Shelbyville Community Church, if someone says they have faith, but they don't have any works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, oh, just go in peace, be warm, be comforted, maybe go listen to some, you know, uh, K-Love, uh, just be comforted, but they don't have what's necessary for their body, he says, what use is it? What use is it? In the same way, faith also, if it doesn't have any works, it's dead being by itself alone. Someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? Well, that's good. The demons believe that and shudder. Can y'all do this? That's what he's talking about. He says, he's a demon shudder. He said, and, and they believe in Jesus. And then the part that that we heard earlier, if, if you're willing to acknowledge, O oh foolish person, faith without works is useless. Was not our father Abraham justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? And you see that faith was working with his works as a result of the works, his faith was perfected. 
And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and that was credited to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. But then he adds, <laughs> James adds, but so you see that a person is justified by works and not by his faith. In the same way was Rahab the prostitute. Have you ever just noticed that phrase? Isn't that a tag that you'd hate to carry around with you forever? Rahab the prostitute was, you know, she finally married a Jewish boy. We're going to see a little bit later, but can you? Oh, yeah, I married Rahab the harlot, you know. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, in the same way was Rahab the prostitute not justified by works also when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? And then he says one last time, just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So let me ask you a question. Are you saved by faith? Are you saved through works? That was a question. You have to say, yes. <laughs> yes. Because what he's saying is it's both. He says, if you're genuinely saved, then you're genuinely going to have works. Okay? And uh, so that's what he's going he's to get to. Now, you've got to... Uh, you got to hear what he's saying here. So I'm going to read these five statements. Let me just tell you, in 1500s, when, when uh, Martin Luther raised this question, he stirred up quite a controversy in, in the, among the, among the uh, early Christians, these Christians there. He says, what use is it? What use is it? He says, if someone says they have faith, but they don't have works, he says, can that faith save them? So write these things down. Guys, faith... Faith has to have impact on other people. Or he says it's useless. Faith isn't just for me, but faith, your faith, has to touch other people. Starting with fathers in the homes. Faith isn't just lived out in a vacuum, but we're going to see. Faith is lived out in a community. He said this in verse 17. Faith, if it has no works, it's dead. It's dead. So, faith has to have positive actions and demonstrations. It has to. If there are no demonstrations, if there are no actions, God says you don't have real faith. Things that are alive will always reproduce themselves. If you have an alive faith, you cannot help but have it reproduced in your life. It's going to reproduce itself. Scripture says that. Verse 20, he said again, if you're willing to acknowledge, you foolish person, that faith without works, it's totally useless. Well, pastor, so far I think we should have works. Can you say amen? We should. But what goes wrong is when you look to the works as the, as the reason why you think you're in right relationship with God. It's not just in the world, but it starts in our, in our faith community right here. Uh, faith is more than words, and it always is seen in our actions. This is what he's saying. How can, how can I touch your faith? How can I see if you have faith? Well, maybe you can say it. Maybe you can say it. But the truth is, it only is going to come out in our actions. This morning, there was a, a young 20-year-old girl in our service, and, and you know, and, and she was almost at that place where she was wanting to public profess her faith. But I asked her, I said, what's keeping you from that? She goes, I don't know. I'm, I'm almost there. I said, well, let me show you this. See that line right here? One of those lines right there? I said, here's, here's what faith and action does. It steps across the line. 
I said, practically what that looks like, it looks like making a public profession of faith. You declare Jesus is Lord. You actually get water baptized. We're going to do that in just in less than a month. We're going to have our baptismal service. I believe it means you, I believe it means you ought to get involved in a local church. We all need each other. Get in a small group. But there's always a line. And yes, you don't just stay over here, I have faith. Nope. You've got to take some action steps. And we're going to, we're going to look at, unpack this in a minute. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Our works may justify, it says, uh, our profession of faith in Christ. It's not to God, though. Nothing you do will ever make you righteous with God. But your faith statements are justified before people when they see you acting Christ-like. Let me tell you what I mean. We, we have people all the time, and unfortunately, guys, we're all human. And a lot of us have made commitments to Christ. We've taken those steps of faith, even been baptized. And, you know, you're changing. You're doing really good for a while. And you know what? Everybody says, yes, and you know, he's, he's changing. And then you have a bad month, right? And some things happen, and you say some things. You lose your cool. You, you rage again, men or women. And, and so anyway, now here's the thing. People go, man, I thought he got saved right? I thought he got saved. What are they looking at? They're looking at your actions. Now, that's true. You cannot get away from that. Now, before God, you're justified before God through your faith. But as far as people, you're a witness to people. Guys, just, just, just be honest. You're never going to get away from the fact that people are going to see the way you're acting. Men, you're declaring that Christ is working in your heart. Don't be yelling at your kids. Don't be yelling at your wife. Don't be cursing. Don't be blah, blah, blah. So many other things that can, can, can say something different than we have, we're, we're, we're professing Christ. Amen? So that's what he's saying there. Just as the body without the spirit is dead, faith without works is dead. In other words, he says, guys, when your earth suits, when your spirit and soul leave your bodies, your earth suits, can I just tell you, it's not moving at all. It's not going to touch anybody. It's not going to say anything. When your spirit and soul leave your earth suit, your earth suit is there. It's dead, right? God says that's the same way it is in your spiritual life. He says if the spirit of God is really in you spiritually, there is going to be spiritual life. And he says if there's no spiritual life, he says spirit's not there. He says you're dead spiritually. So I wanted to read those Five verses, now, and I know I, I really milked those, I mean, I belabored those, but you've got to know this, the devil is so sneaky, he will try to get your eyes off of your faith in what Jesus Christ did to you, and try to get your eyes on works so many times, as far as you having confidence before God, uh, as far as you having confidence in your prayer life, because let's just... We're all human in here, right? Touch the person next to you, make sure they're not a robot. Yeah, they're human. So you are all in this together with me that you feel a whole lot more like praying when you've been good. You just do. You feel a whole lot better praying when you feel like, oh, I haven't done this in a while. I haven't done that. I've been, you know, I've been this. I've been doing this. Because it's easy, and the enemy will try to deceive us to think that we're right with God when we've acted right. 
You say, well, pastor, shouldn't that be so? It should be so, but that's not your right standing before God. Your only right standing before God comes through your faith in what Jesus Christ did for you. And when, it, when it's time to pray, you don't come before God on the basis of how good you've been this week or this week or this morning. Hopefully you're going to pray more than once a week. Uh, but guys, can I just tell you, you're not unusual if that's where you don't find yourself. Okay? I, I just want to agree with you. It's very common, and we understand that it's easy to feel like that before God. The only problem is you're going to have a very weak, anemic, sickly prayer life if that is your standard. You have to be able to come before God knowing, no, I'm accepted before God based on what He did, based on the covenant that He made with me through His blood not through the covenant that I'm making through my words or through what I'm trying to do for him. How many of y'all understand that? Okay, so, so he, here we go. So we, we know that these words are out there and we know that they're constantly being said and, and it's easy for us to adopt those things as truth because we are so performance-driven. We, we, we are all so much driven by our performance and our own achievements. And boy, it's just so real. So that was James. In fact, one other picture, one other picture before I get to the uh, heart of the message. <laughs> this is all intro. Help me. Um, so in Acts 15, there's, there's a story in the book of Acts. Because this was happening. Jesus had died. Jesus had ascended back to heaven. And several years had passed. James had risen to be a, a leader in the church in Jerusalem. The apostle Paul had been saved and he was out evangelizing the world. Peter had, you know, repented and he, he was anointed and he was preaching all over the place. And there were Christians all over the known world at that time now rising up. And many of them were not Jewish boys and girls, right? And so these people, so here's all these pagans and what I mean by pagans, they were Gentiles. They just weren't Jews. A lot of them worshiping in temples. I mean, in Ephesus and in places, people would worship God by having sexual relations with the temple prostitutes. Don't you know church attendance probably was pretty high? I mean, I'm just thinking, you know. I, I, well, I, I'm just thinking. That's my flesh. But... but but that was part of their worship. In fact, the one and only time I've got to go to Israel, we actually went to an area called the Decapolis, and, and uh, I was blessed to have as our guide, the guy was actually from the University of Jerusalem, and he was an archaeologist, and they were unearthing this city that had been covered completely by a flood. And it, no wonder, they were so, they were so bad. And, and the area is mentioned in the New Testament one time. It's called the cities of the Decapolis. And one of these cities, they were unearthed. There's a bathhouse. You talk about white marble streets they had uncovered. And they uncovered this bathhouse that had tiles on the wall with pictures of pornography etched and in, in the tiles. I mean, male acts with men, men and women. And I'm going... This place was evil. But this is who these people were. They were coming out of that, giving their hearts to Christ, just like we are. Scripture says about them, Paul said in Corinthians, man, you used to be this, you used to be that, you used to be this, you used to be that, and you were washed in the blood of Jesus. You were changed. 
It's our stories too. I mean, if everybody knew all the details of our debauchery, I mean, if everybody knew all the stuff that we've ever done, uh, maybe Rahab the harlot wouldn't be such a bad nickname. You know, but, but the thing was, the Jewish guys come in, they say, okay, now that you pagans have become Christians, you really need to be good Jews too. Now, how many of you know one of the first things that they, <laughs> that meant? Uh, men, you, got, you guys got, got to be circumcised. Just let it sink in. They said, what? what? When, when, when does that, why is that part of becoming a Christian? Well, God's about circumcising your heart, he says, not your physical body. But anyway, so these guys were getting all upset all over the world. And they had this big convention. It was called the Council of Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 15, Peter comes to it, Silas is there, Luke the doctor's there, Paul's there with Barnabas, and a guy named Basabbas is there. I mean, all of the movers and shakers of the evangelistic world was at this council meeting. And James was there. So these are, I just want to read these real quickly. Here, here's what it says in verses 8 and 9 of Acts 15. He says, we believe that they, like us, have their hearts cleansed through faith. He said, we believe that we're all saved, verse 11, through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just like the rest of us. In other words, at this council, the declaration was made going out to the church, hey, we're saved by grace through faith. We're going to see that at the very end, too. We're saved by grace through faith. But then James did add something. Because he was very Jewish. And he did add, he said, but we need to tell them to do this. We need to tell them to stay away from food contaminated by idols. And, and he did say this is true today. He says, he says, you need to repent from sexual immorality. Because it was so prevalent in their, in their places of worship. Sexual immorality, listen, was so common that people didn't even blink at it. They thought they were worshiping God because they were created beings of God. So, and, and you say, well, pastor, that's where we are today in this world. Absolutely. He says, stay away from what's been strangled. All you deer hunters, y'all know how important it is to bleed those animals while they're still out in the field. If you're from Florida, you hog hunt. That's a big thing. Get that blood out of, well, that was part of, that's all he said. But it's easy, though, to pick up and become works-oriented. Now, let me just stop here for a second, okay, as, as way of introduction. Because, guys, we are all there. We are all there. You can come to this great church, and you can hear it taught over and over and over again that we repent of not believing in Jesus, put our faith in what he did, and now walk in obedience as you're led by the Holy Spirit. You can hear that, hear that, and hear that. But one place out there, it says, boy, you better do good or God won't hear your prayers. And all of a sudden, oh, that's true. Man, you suck into that like, like it's, you know, it's, it's, it's just life. Or, you know, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do that if you're really going to be a godly Christian. And you just jump all over that because we are so performance-driven and conditioned as humans. And the idea of coming to a holy God who is merciful toward us and just responding in repentance and faith in what he did and giving him our heart and then experiencing what Paul said in Philippians, 
allowing the Holy Spirit to change you from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. Guys, we get choked. We just choke on that simple grace, truth message. See, here's what Paul said. He said, my beloved brethren, just as as you've always obeyed, not just when I'm there, but when I'm away, look at this, listen to it. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, for it is God who is at work in you, both giving you the desire and the power to do his good pleasure. Now, let me tell you what he says. He says, yes, 100%. God is wanting to produce in you good works. But I want you to know what he says. He says, it's me in you. He says, I give you, he says, I want you to work out your salvation, not work for your salvation. He says, God is working in you. He says, he gives you the desire to do what's right. And he gives you the power to do what's right. Now, guys, without him working in your life, you're sunk. Look at the person next to you. Just go like that to him. Make a little, little spread. Yeah, you're sunk. Go ahead and tell him. If you're depending on your own flesh, your own abilities to please a holy God, you're sunk. And so you read these words in James and it's easy to go, okay, I've got to step it up. I've got to be a better person, which we should. But when you do that without an attitude of faith in what Jesus did for you, you're going to fall into a trap that's going to lead you into condemnation every single time. You say, oh, no, 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 pastor. It's going to lead us to become, we're going to become godly people. Godly looking. See, it's one thing to have the looks on the outside, but have your heart hard as heart. I mean, hard as a rock. It's easy to maybe look straight on the outside, but in the inside, man, you're not serving, seeking God at all. It's totally possible to become that. Now, can we just agree? Everybody just shake your head like this. I don't want to be that person. Because that's not a good thing. That's not who we want to be. So I want to give you four examples right out of these seven verses that he uses that give us where we need to go. So take your note sheets out. Write these down. Here's the first one he says in verse 15. He says, uh, well, and it's the actions that demonstrate that this faith is. He says, here's the first one, verse 15. If a brother or sister, so let's just start off first. He's talking about family. He's talking about church family. Is without clothing and in need of daily food. And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, uh, be filled. But you don't give them what they need. What use is it? What use is it? He says, uh, if, if you don't meet practical needs, he says, do you ha- is the Spirit of God really in you? You say, come on, Pastor. Do you think I'm supposed to meet everybody's needs? Absolutely not. But we're all supposed to meet somebody's needs. And as a church, we can't meet everybody's needs. But you know what? As a church collectively, we're going to meet some people's needs. And you say, well, who are those people? We don't know. They're not here. Some of them may not even be here yet. But God says what's in your heart that I've put there is the ability. He says, I'll give you the desire and the power to do those good works. 
You say, well, Pastor, it confuses me. I know I feel so guilty. The guys are taking up, you know, they, I, I hate going by that intersection because that guy's always out there taking up money. Don't feel guilty. If God doesn't tell you to give him anything, don't give him anything. I know where I was from, they, you know, they, people, pan, we call them pan, they were everywhere. And a lot of them were in our church, and they all said, don't give anything to those people. Most of them, uh, you know, well, anyway, I won't get off on that. Um, but you've got to meet needs. You've got to meet practical needs. Somebody said this, you know, if the church, I think the church should be, you know, we shouldn't have Social Security in our country. The church should meet all the people's needs. And I'm going, what planet are you from? I mean, are you kidding me? Number one, all of these admonitions are written to the church to take care of people in the church. And the truth is, Paul, man, you read up on Paul. I was reading this morning, 1 Thessalonians. He says, look, here's the deal. We're going to meet people's needs, but if people won't work, don't feed them. You go, what? Yeah, Paul says, no, look, we're not the social security system for the entire world. He says, our job is to obey God's promptings and help those first within the church and then those that we're using to demonstrate the life of Christ to. See, pastor, that doesn't sound very loving. I'll tell you what happened. Jesus, when he started his earthly ministry, you remember where his first uh, miracle was? It was at a wedding, right? At the wedding feast at Cana, uh, there in the first part of, G of the Gospel of John. And here's the situation. Mary, Jesus' mother, I guess she was, had a side job of being a wedding coordinator or something because she was in charge of the food. Okay, now I don't know how many people Jesus brought with him but it must have made a dent in the wine supply, okay? Because Mary comes to Jesus and says, they're out of wine. They're out of wine. Jesus, they're out of wine. And Jesus' godly response was, what's that to me? You went, no, it doesn't say that. Yes, it does. He says, and? She goes, she's looking, and then she looks at the servants, and this is all that happens in this exchange when the miracle happens. Jesus looks at the servants and says, whatever he says, do it. Read it. That's, what he's, that, that's, the, that's the exchange that happened. So Jesus is going, ah. no, I don't think he did that. He says, fill up those seven water pots. These water pots were 20 gallons each. He made 140 gallons of wine. I'm going, party's going to last a while, I guess. That's going to be a long party. So, so, he, so he, he's in that exchange, he, you know, they take it out, and the guy says, man, this is the best wine. He says, usually people serve the best wine first, and after people get a little tipsy, he says, then they bring out the bad wine because people don't care. He says, but you've saved the best wine to last. Now, here's my whole point. That's a funny story. You can't meet everybody's needs but you're supposed to meet some people's needs. And here's what the key is. Whatever Jesus says, do it. If you're open to the Holy Spirit speaking to you and your impression stuff on your heart, there'll be sometimes you'll just feel a burden for something. The Holy Spirit will say, hey, help that situation or do that. Or as a church, the leadership team, you know, our elder team may say, you know what, we need to do this ministry. We need to do this ministry. But you can't do it all. But he says this. If you're going to have saving faith, you should have some practical need-meeting works happening in your life. Can you say amen to that? 
If you're hard-hearted, you could care less about anybody other than you, you're probably not saved. If, if, you're, if you're so callous and non-caring that when you see people that are hurting and you go, tough, it's their fault. Maybe not, you may not have really had that spiritual encounter before you got baptized, okay? There may be some more God wants to do. So that's the first thing. You got to meet practical needs. In fact, Jesus said it when he said there's going to be a judgment day one of these days. And I'm going to say to some people, hey, thank you. Enter into my kingdom. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And when I was naked, you clothed me. And it says those that I'm talking to are going to respond. When did we do that? When did we see you naked? When did we see you hungry? He says, when you did it unto the least of these, my brethren. He says, you did it to me. You remember that story? So listen, practical need-meeting actions is a sign that Christ is working in your life. Now here's the second one, okay? Can you say amen? Now some of you, some of you, now listen, let me just, God give grace because some of you are going to leave this message going, I got to do some stuff. I got to do some stuff. That's just the opposite of what I'm trying to get you to see. Okay? It's not about you doing more stuff. It's about you doing what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. Okay? And trust Him. Here's the second thing. Wow, this one's heavy. Get ready. Verse 19. He says, you believe that God is one. Yes, God's revealed Himself as Father. God's revealed Himself through Jesus Christ perfectly. And God reveals Himself through the Holy Spirit. He says, you do well. He says, the demons believe that and shudder. Ooh, he says, there's a level of faith that even demons have. And I could th- say this honestly, there may be some demon level faith in here. Now listen, this is what demon faith is. See, these demons are spiritual beings that were created before humankind was ever created. God created them in eternity past for fellowship with him. And we know Scripture reveals through the stories that uh, there was a rebellion in heaven, there was war in heaven, and, and uh, we believe a third of all those angelic beings rebelled against God. But guess what? They know who God is. They have more faith than some atheist or agnostic because they know God's real. They know He exists. They even know He's powerful. They even know... That he's miraculous. But here's the difference. They won't bow the knee of their will to him. And they won't put their chooser, their volitional choice, they won't put their faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. They have head faith, but they have no heart faith. And Jesus says this. Some of some, so, so James is picking on, not picking on some people, but he's revealing that there are people that have as much faith as demons have. Because all it is is head faith. It's not a heart faith. It's not a trusting in what Jesus did for them. And he says it's not a saving faith. It's just an intellectual assent to who God is and that he exists. And God says, that's not enough. He's, I mean, James is saying that's where people are. So, head faith versus heart faith. See, in that same passage where Jesus was talking about the judgment, he says there's going to be people, uh, we heard it, man, we even heard it in the Sermon on the Mount sermon. There's going to be people who say, Lord, I did this in your name, I did this in your name, I did this in your name. 
And he says, man, depart from me. I never knew you. You see, God is after heart faith, not just head faith. Now, let me just stop just for a second. Will you ask yourself this question? Am I really trusting Jesus? Am I really trusting in what Jesus did for me? And am I really desiring for him to be Lord of my life? And for me to be a Christ follower, a disciple that really is going to have impact in the world around me. Because you see, guys, if, if that's not our hearts, this is where we are. We have the same type and level of faith that demons have. Can you just go ahead and shudder now? That should scare us. It should be a thing where we check ourselves. Well, here's the next one. Can you say amen so far? Y'all are hanging in here, and I'm going to land this plane right on time. It's just what time is that? I'm not sure. Uh, Abraham, look at this next example. Okay, now this is incredible. Because they use this story out of Genesis 15, and it's the same exact story that the apostle Paul uses to justify you're saved only through your faith. And it's the same one that James used to say, see, you're saved by your works. At least that's what he implies, sounds like. Our father Abraham, was he not justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of his works, his faith was perfected. Scripture says, Ab and then he quotes this verse, Abraham believed God, that's it, and it was credited to him as righteousness. You see, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. I said, James, I think you kind of missed a little apologetics there somewhere, but here's the bottom line. It is a head thing, and it does have fruit. Y'all remember the story? Y'all know this story. Abraham, some of you might be going, who is Abraham? 75 years old. I, I mean, you know, he's he, he's he's older guy. I wasn't at that age yet, but he's older guy. He's getting up there, and God shows up to him at 75 and says, Abraham, you're going to have a kid, and through that son, you're going to have more children, more descendants than the stars in the sky. Abraham's going, wow. He says, you're going to have more descendants than there are pebbles of sand on the shore of the Mediterranean Ocean. He goes, wow. Now, his wife Sarah's going, what are you talking about? But God spoke to her too. He gave her some faith too. And so they're going, yay, yay, that's good, God. They even changed their names from Abram to Abraham, which meant father of nations, and from Sarai to Sarah, which means mother of multitudes. And guess what? 25 years later, three different times he appeared to Abram and said, Abram, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a descendants. It's going to be incredible. And 25 years later, they finally conceive. He's 100 and she's 90-something. And they have a baby. You say, oh, pastor, do you really believe that's true? I believe it's true. I believe it's true. Say, so how did God do that? I don't know. I, I, but it's miraculous. But it happened. Now that's great. That's great. All me and Abraham having all these visions of all these descendants and stuff through Isaac, who wasn't even married yet. And then when the kid, he says he's still a lad, probably 13 years old. He thinks. No, he hears God say, "All right, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac to me." Now, all of us would go, okay, I mean, I'll give him up. I want him to be a doctor, but if he wants to be a preacher, that's okay. I mean, you know, that's where we think. But he says, no, I'm talking about really sacrificing him. 
He's like, God, this is my child, my son of promise. Now, here's where Abraham was. God, I believe you can raise him from the dead if that's what you want to do. You made me this promise. I believe your promises because it even says that in Hebrews that, that Abraham believed that God could raise him from the dead, Isaac from the dead. So he packs up the wood, packs up the fire, packs up the kid. They go to Mount Moriah, which is where Jerusalem would be, to where the actual temple would later be built. And he builds an altar, and he's getting ready to physically slay his son. And the story goes, God stops him, and he says, don't do that. I'm just testing you. Yeah, I'm going, you know. But see, Abraham, it looks like, was actually going to do it. But the key was, he said, okay, God, you're going to deepen my faith even more, because if I sacrifice him, you've got to raise him from the dead to fulfill all your other promises. James says, see... Works is what saved him. Paul goes, no, it was faith. By faith he was getting ready to do that. I just know that it's not either or, but it's what? Both and. Both and. Now let me just say this too. God will never tell any of you to sacrifice any of your kids, even though that thought may run through your mind. <laughs> That's not God. You just need to rebuke that. That's not God. You say, well, God, can I just let them go to the mission field? Now, that, God may do that, but he'll never ask you to do that. Now, here's the last one. Here's the last one. So he says, if you're really saved, you're going to have, yes, you will. You have good works. You will meet people's needs. He says, if you're, if you're really saved, it's going to be more than just a head faith like demons have. It's going to be more than just physically believing that God exists. It's going to be trusting him to take care of you in every single area of your life, especially in the area of, pay, of covering your sins. He says, and there's going to be, there's going to be a, a faith like Abraham had to do where he lays down some things, believing that God can resurrect them in his timing. But here's the last one. Now, I always laugh at this. I'm going, man, what a reputation this girl had to live with for a long time. It says, in the same way, verse 25, was Rahab the prostitute, the harlot, not justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? What's that about? Joshua chapter 2, the people of Israel are getting ready to go into Canaan, their promised land. And Joshua, their commander, sent some spies to check out this huge city called Jericho. It says the walls were so wide they could run chariots on the top of them. Well, there were also obviously some condos on the wall because uh, Rahab had a, had a house there. And so anyway, these spies, she recognized they were spies. Anyway, the spies go into her house. I mean, into her condo, and I guess, uh, anyway, the word got out, hey, they're spies, and so she hides them, and the leaders of the city come and say, hey, where'd those guys go? And she lies. She says, oh, yeah, they came. They're gone. They left, and she hid them. So now here is Rahab the harlot. Not only is she a harlot, but she's a liar, a good one, I guess, and uh, she hides the Jewish spies, and then God gives her a promise. She says, look, I, we know this God of yours. He's powerful. Man, everywhere, everywhere we go, everywhere you guys go, God gives you the land. He gives you great victories. We're, everybody's afraid of this God of yours. And, and she says, will you spare me and my family when you all come back to destroy the city? And they gave her a promise. They said, yeah, if you put this red marker, they gave us, it says a red cord, some type of red uh, uh, something, I guess maybe it was already in her house, but anyway, it was red. 
we always take that being a picture of the blood of Christ but said you, you take this red thing and you hang it out the window and when we attack we will spare everybody that's in your house because of what you've done James says see she was saved because she put this red cloth out and people knew who she was Paul says see she was saved because she believed God's promise that he would spare her if she would put the, put the red cord out. The truth was, when they attacked the city, she was spared. Truth is, you read the story, man, it's big, big for a great movie. She ends up marrying one of the Jewish boys. She was. I hope she wasn't always called Rahab the harlot, but she married one of these Jewish guys. Listen to this. Jesse is mentioned as one of her descendants. Jesse was King David's dad. And then later, she's even linked to the lineage of Jesus Christ through Joseph and Mary. I'm going, this lady had great faith, and God says, look, I'm merciful. I'll use whoever will trust me to cleanse their lives, and I will give grace to anybody to be able to do the right things if they'll trust me. And God says, I blessed her socks off. She became famous. She became famous. As the band comes back up, we're going to close. But here's this message that, truthfully, I labored over it a lot just because, man, I, want to, I don't want to be unbalanced in the truth of God's Word. Because Scripture says this, all of this book is true. And it's not full of contradictions. And being saved by faith and having good works is not a contradiction. If you say you're saved by your good works, that's just error. We're saved by faith in what Christ did for us. It's through amazing grace. And we will always, the Holy Spirit will always produce the good works that show that it's true. Can you say amen to that? Now, here's where we are. We're going we're to sing a song that you've heard this song. It was originally written by a slave ship owner. And this guy got convicted, heard a gospel preaching, and gave and repented and uh, quit his business, sold his boat, and trusted Christ as his Savior, but was so guilt-ridden for years. His testimony or the story about him read that he was always trying to pay back God, pay back God until finally there came a time where he understood in his heart of hearts that it's only through his faith in what Jesus did for him and through God's grace and through God's mercy that he could ever be right with God. Now the truth is, after that, he had good works. He had good works. But there would never be enough good works, and he realized this, to pay off the sin debt that he owed. There would never be enough good works that he could ever do to balance out that imbalance of ungodliness that was in his life. Now, like that, listen, we're going to close. But some of you, unfortunately, have been plagued with this demon faith. And a lot of it's because you're not that bad. You weren't that bad. You weren't selling people. You weren't involved in human trafficking. I mean, you weren't, you weren't the renowned sinner, you know, 
in town. But the thing is, you're not bad enough, some of you, in your own estimation to realize, man, I am lost and I need a Savior. My only hope is for the grace and mercy of God to be released to me and for, and for God you, to forgive me because you want to forgive me. And when you put your trust in Jesus, that's what he does. Now, don't worry. After that, there'll be things to do. This church is a servant-based church. There are so many people that just already serve in so many areas, but we do it out of obedience to Christ and love for Christ, not to try to gain his love. Can you say amen to that? But listen, you might be like this late young lady this morning, and you just want to say, you know, I'm stepping over the line. I just want you to know, Pastor Daniel, uh, I've heard this message over and over, and I need to step over the line. I want to trust Christ. I want to announce to the world that I'm going to trust Christ. I want to be baptized. I want to follow in obedience. I'll be a member of this fellowship because I know I have to be a part of a growing body. And if you want to do that, do it this morning. Our prayer team is going to be around. You, you can come to the altar to pray. You can do it in your seat. But you need to make that commitment. And it's just simple as this. Pray with me out loud all over the room as we get ready to sing this song. Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace and mercy. I have no other hope than you. I will let the Holy Spirit produce good works in me. That's your heart but I'll not trust them to get me to heaven. Oh, I just had a thought. That's kind of strange. Uh, you know what? Your good works won't get you to heaven, but your good works will help get other people to heaven. And that's where we are. Let's sing this song. It's called Amazing Grace. And then there's a part that's been added that, you know, my chains are gone. Can we do that? Let's stand up together, church. And, uh, you know, if you want to step across, you need a touch, you want somebody to agree with you in prayer, you know, we're going to go for about five more minutes. And, but there will be people up here to pray with you. Feel free to do that. But let's make this our declaration today. Amazing grace. The sound that saved a wretch like me. Was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. Oh, how precious did that grace appear! The hour I first. Chains are gone, I've been set free, my God, my Savior has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, 
moment, just for a moment. Before we sing these last two verses, we really do want to invite you. Now, we don't do this every service, and, but you know what? Sometimes you're here, and I believe there's some people really are. You're prepared. You're ready to make your commitment to Christ, and uh, you need to take a stand. It gives you victory. It gives you victory. And you know what? This is Pastor Brad. He's very casual today, but he's right here on the front row. Now, I know, I know we don't do this every week, but he won't be too mad at me. Uh, but if you want to come and just kneel, I'm going to invite Brad to lead you to Christ. You can pray, you can pray with the lead pastor today and nail down your personal commitment. I believe there's a couple. I really do. I believe there's some people that are there. You're, you're at that point. You're ready to commit your life to Christ, but, and you know you need to step over that line, and it's just as easy as that. And so we do that sometimes here. And then in the weeks to come, yeah, you need to follow him in baptism, and you need to take the next steps. But if you would like to do that, I just ask you, invite you to come to the front right now and just kneel, and uh, somebody will pray with you. But we'll, we'll do two more of these last two verses, okay? The Lord has promised good to me His word, my hope, secure verse there. We're going to sing it. But I praise God that there are some people taking steps. Because see, it, it always involves a step of obedience. That's, James was right. If we don't have a genuine faith, there'll never be those good works that the Holy Spirit wants to produce through us. And the first work is just this, taking a step and saying, Jesus, I receive what you did for me. I receive you. I receive what you did. John chapter 1 says, But to as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the power to become children of God. And that's the first step, guys. We're, we've got the rest of our life on this side of eternity to learn how to release the Spirit, but there has to be that first step of obedience. Don't have a demon faith that says, Oh, I believe about God. Oh, I believe he's real. You see, 
That's not saving faith. Saving faith is Jesus, I give myself to you. I trust what you did. I put my hope in what you did. And it's a gift. But if he's doing that, man, come on. We're, we're going to pray in agreement with you. Jim, you'll pray for somebody, won't you? Jim will pray with you. He's, he's loaded. I know he's always loaded. Amen. Come on right now. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow. The sun forbear to shine. But God who called me here below will be forever. Almighty, we thank you that you're the one who begins the good work in our hearts, and you alone are the one who completes the work in our hearts. We thank you for your promise that, Lord, you not only give us the desire to do your good pleasure, but you give us the power to do your good pleasure. And Lord, we declare we have received, and we receive your grace. We receive the gift of righteousness. And then, Lord, we commit to allow you to flow through us to produce the good works, to produce the obedience, to produce, God, the change that only you can do. So, Lord, we say thank you, God. Thank you for this great church, this fellowship, the believers here that support one another. And we say thank you, God, for your love for us. And we say this all in the name, the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.